Hello, my name is Jen Hickey. Welcome to the WEN podcast, a series of conversations with people as they share their WEN moments. Recognizing these times can change our destiny, help us to stop hiding behind the past or clinging to a future that may or may not happen. This podcast is about recognizing the power of the WEN moments. Hi, and welcome back to the WEN podcast. So this week, I'm chatting to Stuart Wilson, founder of Zest Life Therapeutic Services. Zest Life has two therapy centers in Dublin that specialize in working with families, parents, young adults and schools. So I've known Stewie for over 20 years and his own journey with his wife, Maggie, is incredibly inspiring and a huge story in itself. And while we've been trying to sit down for a long time, we both felt that now was the right opportunity because children, teens and parents were all struggling at this time during COVID more than normal. So in this chat, Stewie gives us some invaluable advice, but more importantly, listening to this, we hope that would give you a lot of reassurance. Stewie speaks to us as a therapist and as a parent himself, and I know I feel so much better after our chat. Enjoy. All right, Stewie, thank you so much for taking the time today to come and chat to us on the WEN podcast. It's great to see you. Thanks so much for the invite. It's great to be here. So it is a tricky one, really, to know where to even start, to be honest. Um, I think at this particular time during COVID, we are all kind of we have this sense of anxiety and stress and mental health concerns regarding our teenagers. And then, of course, our parents and turn and families. And so when we think of teenagers and kind of struggling and that kind of thing, obviously, that's not new. You've been dealing with that for years, but it's almost like the volume on it has been turned up for everybody across the board. Is, is that would I be right in saying that even what's going on at your end? Yeah, I think, you're, I think you're describing it really well. I mean, truthfully, there has been a massive surge in issues for young people. We work mostly here with families from a parental perspective, with parents, but also I suppose we're probably best known for working with adolescents and young people. Um, I suppose we're probably seeing a massive surge in the last five years. So even taking the pandemic out of us, to be honest, Jen, we've seen a huge problem in the last uh, five years with the amount of young people seeking therapy. Um, there's a, a global pandemic way before this pandemic uh, which we can talk a little bit about later on, which has been, I think, the impact of the whole change around the cyber world and the impact of that on young people, the fallout from that, the relationships, connections, and how we do. So we talk, we probably hear quite a lot about this from the context of um, the cyber side, the context of social media and things like that. But what we don't talk an awful lot about, which we can probably talk a little bit about later on, is actually also the biological effects of screen time on young people. So there has been a surge, you're right in saying that there has been a, an interesting movement in relation to COVID times while the pandemic has been on because we've seen highs and lows from young people and families seeking therapy because of the lockdowns. And I said in March last year that we would see a tsunami of mental health issues on the back of the pandemic. Mm. And somebody said to me this week, you know, oh, so it started. And I'm going to be honest, Jen, and say quite truthfully, I don't even think we, we're only seeing the ripples of it. The tsunami has not even started yet. This is months and months away. It's probably even, in some cases, years away. Um, and I think we've got a, a major global pandemic of mental health issues coming down the line. Yeah, I mean, it's it's actually, when you put it like that, it's quite scary, uh, you know, and... So I've had some questions from a few listeners, uh, parents struggling, wondering what to do. And and a, one question actually that jumped out at me kind of in relation just to what you're saying 
you know, young teenager, 12, 13 years of age, young girl really struggling, you know, on the, on the surface of it appears fine, but actually, you know, she's, she's kind of feeling a little bit like she doesn't have anything to live for, which, you know, and I know that like you're saying this has been going on for years, it, it has, but you know, that is a really scary thing to be hearing for somebody, you know, so young, I'm struggling and I'm an adult. So like, what do you do if you, if you're lucky enough to know that about your child? Well, first of all, that's the first thing that I would say. The fact that this mom is saying to you that she does know this is is a major step in the right direction because um, we also have to realize that young people, it's very different to when we were even growing up, Jen. I know we're not totally over the hill yet, but (laughs) I'm a little older than you. But praying. (laughs) (laughs) When we were, were younger, we didn't talk about mental health. You know, if you had a problem, you you didn't talk about it. It was seen as major weakness. You know, it was vulnerability that you just didn't go down that road. Our young people now are not afraid of talking about mental health. And you said earlier, actually, that you have a lot of young people reaching out. Is it the young people or is it their parents? Yeah, and I, and I suppose in, in many cases, it's actually coming from both because the, Interesting. the parents are willing to reach out having heard their young people talk to them or communicate with them. It's the young people who aren't talking that concerns me. So yes. when young people are communicating with their mums or dads to say, this is what I'm struggling with, mental health now has become as communicative as dental health. And that's a good thing. Yeah. So as parents, that's an adjustment for us because we're not used to that. We, we are used to dental health. We're used to tell, we're, listen, I'm one of those dads that was pulling my kids out of the car and going, go back in and clean your teeth, you know, if they didn't clean their teeth on the way to school in the morning. And um, we've grown up that way where dental health was communicated in that way, but mental health wasn't. Our mm-hmm. young people are as in tune now with mental health as they are dental health. So we've got to be, as parents, adjusting our communication and our behavior to being okay with it. But it is frightening because they're communicating things like, I don't have a desire to live. I don't want to be here. And if they are communicating that, then that is good that they're communicating it, but mm-hmm. they do need what I would call scaffolding from mental health services. And also, I would say to your listeners, you know, when it's your young people, be very careful where you do link in with mental health services to make sure you've investigated, you've checked it out, you've looked it through, you know, Google, <laughs> we've got the power of being able to do that. Make sure that the service you're going to is what your child needs um, and um, essentially that they are, they're happy to go. Yeah. And and I could, yeah, so I suppose it's one thing saying it, it's another thing trying to get them there. I've been there myself with one yeah. of my own, as you know. Yeah. Um, but, and, and actually that's really interesting because like you say, you know, that's not how we grew up. So if, you know, you hear that your child is struggling, you know, we probably don't have a clue what to do. And actually our response in that moment is key because if we're terrified of that or if we're brushing it off, not saying that we are, but is that, you know, it's so important that we are able to listen with both ears when that child comes. And we're not just kind of going, ah, come on, you're grand, or everybody else is going through this, or, you know, it's 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 a cry for help in a sense, you know. Yeah, I, and I think, remember this, you know, again, our teenagers are a lot more communicative and a lot more emotionally intelligent probably than we were as kids. So they're, they're getting a much better grounding in school. They're hearing about mental health and well-being. People like me are going to talk in schools. They're, they're getting a lot more from us, which is great you got to remember that young people in their growing up years, it's normal for them to go through mental health related issues. It's not unusual and to have anxiety or to have low mood reactive depression at times in all of our lives is part of life. It's, it's how we develop resilience. I'm often asked, will I teach resilience in schools? You can't teach resilience. Resilience is an experience. It's, mm-hmm. it's bouncing back from difficulty. 
And we've got to go through the difficulty. We can't helicopter parent and mow it out of the way. We've got to be able to go through it and know how to react to it. The only right communication when a young person comes to us and says, I'm really struggling. Like, mm. I'm finding it difficult to navigate right now. They might use different language, but they're saying, I need help. Our only, our only reaction to that is, I'm so grateful to you for communicating that to me. Yes. And what, what, if you'll allow me, let's investigate this together. Let's find somebody who you can talk to. And the only thing I would say to any young people who might be listening to this is, if you're going therapeutically to connect with someone, let your parents do the groundwork to make sure that they've got all the qualifications, they've got everything they need to have. And then when you go, the only thing I would say to a young person is, if you're not walking out of being with that therapist saying, this person gets me, I can, they, they, they've got my back. I know I can work with them. They're grand. Yeah. <laughs> then go back. If you don't feel that, because they have the qualifications to do all the modality, mm. and all the different things they can do with you. But if you don't have the connection, go elsewhere. Oh, listen, I did my own journey in therapy a couple of years back where I said I'm going to go in for one session and stay for two years. And and like that, uh, you know, I just instantly connected with her and I thought, yes, and it's the same for a child. But I wonder, you know, for a kid to actually follow through on it, to actually do it. I know myself when I when I was struggling with my own teenagers a couple of years back, it was hard to get because it's all very well them coming out and saying, look, I'm struggling or whatever, particularly now, because it feels like everybody is struggling. Yeah. You know, and, and there could be a reluctance to yeah. to get them to actually even go to somebody in the first place. So I agree with you. It, it's so important to to be able to connect with the person. But if if they just stop then and kind of go, look, I'm telling you this, but I'm not going anywhere. Great. They've at least communicated to you how they're feeling. In many cases, what I would say to parents and actually an interesting statistic just from our own practices here. We have two practices, one in church and one in Harold's Cross. And from both of those, we did some stats recently. In about 50% of cases, Jen, we wouldn't even see the kids. Okay. Because the parents will come to us and say, can I come? And, and before we would see any children, we'd have a parental consultation anyway. I want every parent coming to our to us to, to check us out, to hear from us, to see what we do, to understand that what we're talking about makes logical sense. And if they feel the connection with us, because when it's your children, it's not just mm. about the kids making a connection with you. The parents have to feel confident in what you're offering. And yeah. if the parents feel like that, I often say to our parents, if you're comfortable with your child coming here, it's your child. If you're comfortable with them coming here, that's going to be, that's 50% of it. If the child yeah. won't come, that's not the end of the world. If the child won't come, I often say to the parents, link in with us maybe just once or twice mm. and be really specific about what the symptoms are of what you're seeing. And then we can guide parents to understand what parents can do that has a significant impact on the environment in which the child is, is struggling in. Because sometimes yeah. I be parents saying to me, I just can't get them out of their room, you know, or mm. they're on their phone all of the time or they won't come down for dinner. I think they've got disordered eating or whatever it might be. We can guide the parents on that as well. And the parents in some ways bridge the gap between the therapist and the child. Mm. And I wonder because, and, and we'll get to the screens and all, all of that because crikey, it's just gone bananas in, in lockdown. But I'm, I'm only thinking as I'm going along here in my own experience as a parent and, and I know myself, you know, how I bring myself to the table obviously is going to create uh, the environment for the child. But when something like this happens, you know, do parents, I probably did myself, do we try to fix it? Do we try to, we just want this perfect scenario, which just doesn't exist. You know, we come at it with trying to fix everything. Look, we're going to, you know, X, Y, Z. I mean, our kids, whatever about the pandemic, because as you say, it's been going on for years, our kids feeling the pressure of what we're bringing in, not intentionally, but just in the world, you know, kids trying to be, I don't know, 
amazing students, that kind of thing. I would hate to be a child again. Oh, me <laughs> the too. pressure, the pressure, it is immense. And everyone is compared, not only when, you know, when we were kids growing up, you got compared to the Joneses or whatever. And there was, you know, it was communicated because you saw them once a month. These are, these are on, in touch all day, every day, there's competition. Mm. They, they're getting it from everywhere. You know, for girls, I would, I've got, as you know, Jen, I've got four girls at home, uh, one boy, and from 28 down to 10. And the, re, and the their, their world they're growing up in is so competitive. Mm. It is so in, intense to look a certain way, speak a certain way, behave a certain way, get certain grades. It's so difficult for them. And I think we've got to realize that that pressure is, uh, is there, it's on them. And then, of course, naturally, they're going to have some mental health related issues because of this pressure. So we've got to be careful as parents. You know, I often say from a, a particularly for dads, dads are the affirmers of our kids, right? So moms are that maternal, incredible, caring, loving, nurturing side that I believe the entire family is built upon the mother's love. I think as dads, quite often, we forget what our role is. Um, and when I would talk to dads a little bit about this, and it doesn't have to be dad, it can be um, it can be a dad figure or it can be a teacher in a school or it can be a, a mentor or somebody. But boys will go to boys, boys will go to men to be affirmed. Mm. So girls, girls also go to men to be affirmed. And what we forget is it's not affirmation of performance. It's not you're incredible because you got great grades. It's or you played the great match or you scored a goal. It's it's to basically remember it's affirmation of the character of who that guy or girl is. Mm. So you're encouraging, you're, you know, you're appraising, sorry, you're, you're, it's you're, the journey. Affirming, you're affirming the character of who they are. It's the journey. It's the, yeah. you know what, that was I really saw your effort with your mental health, but yeah. my goodness, you are so resilient or mm. the courage that you showed when you didn't want to go out and meet friends because of social anxiety, but you pushed through. I'm mm. so proud of you. We need to affirm our kids in the stuff that matters, not affirm them in performance, because when we affirm them in performance, we actually make that competitive streak 10 times harder. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. I I listen as a grown woman, I struggle with my own demons in comparison and all that. I can't even imagine what it must be like for a child that, that think they know everything. But, it you know, brains forming. I can't even imagine it. Um, it's it's really scary. So all that taken into account, throw the pandemic in. So, so this these kids are at home what, 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 like. <laughs> so Ooh. we had we had listen i'm talking out of, out of i'm laughing here more out of personal rather than professional issues because this has been the most incongruent time for me in my life professionally and personally because sure. i'm having to struggle with all these things at home as well this Absolutely. is not easy and um i want to be very congruent to your listeners today these are struggles i'm having at home jen these mm. are upsets and fights that are happening in my house so i'm not just talking about them professionally they are yeah. difficult that's what I mean. That's what I meant about the volume is up like everybody. Totally. So so put in the major issues that we had up to up to the pre pandemic and we were seeing major increases in 250 to 260 percent increases in self non non fatal self harm hospitalizations for teenage girls, uh, addiction in boys, porn, gaming, etc. Way up. Uh, these are issues that were there pre pandemic. Bring in pandemic. Now, we had to do what we had to do. Don't get me wrong. I'm not complaining, giving out, moaning about we could have done it different or we could have done it better because we all have opinions about that and we probably could with hindsight. However, we had the pandemic there and then we basically had complete and total social disconnect. 
And even the words social distancing, I had a major issue with that at the very beginning of this, and I spoke out a lot about it, where it should have been physical distancing, not social distancing. If ever there was a time to be more socially connected, it's during pandemic, just not physically. Um, but yeah, we went into this crazy bubble where we weren't allowed to see people or meet people. So one of the major symptoms of anxiety and depression is things like agoraphobia, not being able to get out and see people and connect with people and meet people. And basically we put that upon our families. Mm. Understandably so, but we put it upon our families. So with that happening, we went from the average in the average uh, screen time, let's just say, even from a cyber perspective, the average screen time for a nine to 14 year old pre-pandemic was five hours a day. And, and we were all saying that's too much. Mm. We know from a neuroscientific perspective, the brain can probably cope between two to three hours per day, but especially not at nighttime because of the melatonin levels rising. So it, nighttime screens are, are, are bad. But that was it five hours then we went on to school and now we're up to 15 hours a day online now screens basically wow. increase our levels of cortisol in our central nervous system after excessive usage so we're having kids going to bed at nighttime who are basically where this cortisol which is meant to wake you up and get you going and, and mm. stress hormone get you going for your day we're basically trying to have our bodies go asleep and our brains are saying wake up wake up why are you trying to go asleep now um, so five to 15 hours is a considerable problem that brings its own mental health issues, but bring into that then pandemic, social isolation, social distancing, you've got a, you've got a tsunami coming. Uh, like, so I'll just speak for myself here. You know, I have three kids. My youngest is 13. He's on the screens, like his eyes are popping out of his head and we're, we're taking them from him. Then we're letting them have, and we're taking them from that's creating an issue in itself. Cause then there's kind of, you know, arguments in the house and all those, you're back and forth. It's like a vicious circle. And yeah. and we know as parents, and then of course we're on them. Like I'm on it now on zoom with yeah. you. Um, and then, and then I kind of go, Oh my God, you know, he'll come to me and say, look, I, it's the only way I can communicate with my friends. Yeah. So you kind of go, okay. So then you give it back and then, and then you could be relaxing yourself and then you realize it's two hours and you haven't even, and then you're thinking, Oh my God, well, you know, he's suffering, I'm suffering. Well, so you're, you're going around and around in circles and, yeah. you know, other questions that I had kind of kids that are appearing, you know, they're normal, but just having these random meltdowns in the middle of the day, you know, aggression, like they haven't seen before yeah. that kind of, you know, maybe I know one question I had, my child, uh, you know, would sporadically go from zero to a thousand and kind of aggression. Now he, it's a habit yeah, and, and habits or a habit that has formed over a year, that could be very hard habit to break. Yeah. So do we take the phones from, from the kids and then suffer the aggression back? So uh, I often talk about red zones and green zones. Our red zones are where our kids are in mayhem. Okay. So that's mm. obviously a red zone when you take a screen out of a child's hand. Okay. Uh, you get a reaction. What is a red zone? A red zone, you got to remember, kids are living out of a different part of their brain than you and I are, okay? We're in our cortex, we're in our rational thinking part of our brain, we're able to um, make decisions based on life experiences and all the rest. So we're working out of the rational thinking part of our brain. Our kids are not, they're working out of the reptilian part of their brain, it's reactive, it's emotional, and they don't have that same cortex until their mid-20s, okay? Developing all the time. The reality is then, we are not dealing with, it's not like for like, so if mm. you're on a screen, you can, I can make a decision. Do you know what? I think I've been on this long enough. I'll put it down. I'll go for a walk. I'll come home. They don't have that ability to do that. So when we fight with them because we've given them a screen, we're not actually helping. Kids will tither around on the edge of a red zone anyway. That's, that's, that's teenage behavior. And their goal very often is to bring mom or dad into the red zone with them. 
They're almost on the edge of the red zone inviting you in going, I'm feeling really frustrated here. Come in here and I'm going to take it out on you. And, and then we go and then we, we are in. there. Yeah, head first, <laughs> literally. And then we're all... And then what, we happen with, then what happens is we have the, the reactional consequences of the red zone. Not the issue that brought us into the red zone, which might have been the screen, but with the consequence, in other words, we've shouted, we've screamed, we've roared, we've got upset, or we've broken an iPad or, you know, whatever it is, we've got <laughs> the consequences of the actual red zone separate to the issue that brought us into the red zone. So my go-to always is communication rather than reaction. And yes, we need to have some boundaries around this, but I'm, 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 it's a difficult one and we're navigating it. And for parents listening, go easy on yourselves because we're in pandemic. It isn't easy. Your schools have made us made our kids go online for five to six to seven or whatever hours a day anyway. So they're in. They, it's the equivalent of basically giving them, you know, a litre and a half of Coke and a box of Smarties <laughs> and knock yourself out. And then we expect them to behave according perfectly well. And um, when they're going to be irrational, they're going to be irrational. When they're at the edge of a red zone, the only thing to do at the edge of a red zone is stop. OK, I'll use the acronym of stop. S-T-O-P. Stop. Take a break. Observe the bigger picture here, which is what? Well, you're in a pandemic. It's pretty pretty nightmare out there. They, If they're on the phones and they shouldn't be on the phones, but they're having a chat with mates and they're having the crack and you hear them laughing, oh gosh, don't take the phone away. Yeah. And the P part is plan what works and go back and do it again because we have to create some boundaries. So if we see them gaming 24 hours a day and they're not talking to friends, we probably need to do something about that. If we see them stuck to their phone and just on Instagram, comparing themselves to everyone else who's out there, who's more beautiful than them, we need to have a conversation with them about that because that's not good. If they're connecting with friends and you can't stop, you're putting your fingers in your ears because of the laughter, let that go. Yeah. That's and actually, what you've just said is so interesting. And I'm so glad you said it because it's almost like I can now sigh a bit of a relief breath because they're not coming from the same side of the brain as we are. And now that you've explained that, it just makes total sense. Yeah. And we do all of our good work as parenting because I do lots of bad work in red zones. <laughs> <laughs> like God. And, and actually, you know, really like when you think about it and, and myself, I, I'm really trying myself and Patrick, we're really trying to come to the day i mean it's so hard uh, and we don't do it every day but we try to come to the day in a, in a good way we try to you know so for us we wake up a lot earlier than the kids and we try to kind of it's not like meditation as such but we just try to bring the good energy in because i i find that if i don't do that if i don't get that kind of space myself i can't bring it then for the rest of the day and like that even before the kids are down the stairs i'm ready yeah. to kind of be at them and oh, don't do this and don't do that because it's it's all coming from fear on my part because yeah. I'm afraid that they're going to have to be too long on screens and what's that going to do to their brain and you know all of those things so and it's a ripple like you say I mean is it okay for us to just say this is what we're going through at the moment but then what's going to happen in a year what's what are the consequences yeah. going to be and I think that's what we do when we talk about green zones. So the opposite of our red zones is our green zones. And our green zones is times that we are we are in, we intentionally do great things, right? And now I'm saying this and I'm laughing to myself because my wife's much better at this than I am, right? Um, and this green zone behavior, my wife Maggie's brilliant at being able to sort of say, look, let's let's go to bed to bed every night, and in this kind of a way, like yourselves, we'd be kind of very much thinking of bringing the day to a kind of a gratitude end and, and finishing our day like that, and then. Um, you know, whatever people's ways of doing that, everyone is different, but being able to finish our day that way and then start our day that way. And when we do that, and I am the biggest moan when it comes to that, right? Because I'm the first person to say to her, oh gosh, I'm in a rush. Come on, I just need to get to the Yeah, office. it's hard. Oh, it's so hard. 
and she's talking about sitting together and holding hands and having a little prayer or something, you know. So I'm all over it I, in theory, and I 100% yeah. back it up. But I'm also a man, and I also get that wrong myself as a dad yeah. and as a husband. So we are trying to be more. This word intentional is a word I want to use a lot this year, and it's a word I used a lot last year. So how do we be intentional with our kids? A couple of things, you know, like we talked about with our dental health. I want my last question with my kids when they lie down and sleep at night and I give them a hug to say goodnight is, is have you anything on your mind? Is there anything you need to, to, to let go of before you go to sleep tonight? It's just checking in with their, their mental health as well. Is there anything worrying mm. And normally we can tell. I often trust a mother's gut on that. You can tell if something's up. But it's be able to just hear that. And I, again, I kind of call that making a bid for your kid. It's, it's reaching out for them to say, because I'm here if you need me and I'm always going to mm. be um, we have a couple of intentional things. I know that we've spoken about this before, Jen, but the most important thing in the home is mom and dad's relationship mm. and how we do and what we do is the space between us. Is it a toxic space or is it a, a beautifully sacred space between mom and dad? And I'm not being strange when I say that, but if it's a sacred place, that's the garden in which the kids grow up. Mm. So I'm conscious of that when I'm doing it well, or if I'm a bit narky with Maggie, I'm conscious of that when I'm not doing it well. and I still do the wrong stuff, but I'm trying yeah. to do it less frequent and I'm trying to do it less deep. Does that make sense? Yeah, and yeah. And, and also, I, you know, and, and look, we're, we're all, none of us, I suppose, are, are living this amazing, beautiful, hand-holding relationship. This is a hard time to be in, but it's it's been able to acknowledge that time when it's not maybe working so well and saying it. And kind of being able to say, look, I'm struggling here too. Look, I've said it my, myself to my kids. Look, I know you're struggling. Just want you to know. I'm struggling too, you know, and, and actually that question last thing at night is, is so important. And often that's, we're all tired then. So it's, it's, you know, but, but actually <laughs> when you do ask that question, the teenagers seem to come to life at that time. At nighttime. Yeah. I, I go to bed at night and mostly I have a duvet of children. Yeah. <laughs> I can't get them to leave the room. They're incredible. And they're, they're night owls. You know, you're trying to say, please go to bed. But yeah, I think I, I think I nearly had uh, over COVID. Certainly. I think I had two times where I came to the bathroom at maybe three in the morning and I nearly appeared in a couple of TikTok movies, you know, (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, what are you doing up? I love it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's hard to find the balance though, isn't it? It's hard to, cause, uh, and, and that, and you're, you're right absolutely right you know in a relationship and like when we think of our kids and what they're struggling and you know hearing that there are kids feeling like they don't have anything to live for at that age you know do they do they even understand what that means but it's certainly that's heartbreaking you know that's remember as well like you mentioned there that lady with a 13 year old like a 13 year old is a 13 a 13 year old isn't half a 26 year old a 13 year old is a 13 year old with 13 year old problems 13 year old worries 13 year old relational issues it's hard Mm. Art. And, and that really helps me to think that way when I'm dealing with kids is to remember that their troubles are their troubles. And we might think with a 50 year old head on us that, you know, oh, listen, if only you knew, but it's tough being that age. And a year is a long time for that age. We oh. can kind of see like this is going to be over. Hopefully, please, God, hopefully, God, who knows, but soonish. But for a kid that's in that now and that has yeah. been going through it and possibly I know my own son hasn't seen a lot of his friends, you know, started in first year. I think that year, you know, going into first. I mean, do you remember you remember back starting first year? I mean, mm-hmm. these are the formative years. What's the effect of that? The kids that have gone into first year that mm-hmm. are missing the developmental stuff. I mean, crikey, that like I agree with you. And I think I think the mistake we can make and we've got to be careful about this because 
Um, I'm reading in the paper this morning about uh, communication around potentially if it happened in the UK, but looking at it in Ireland about having extra classes and making the summer shorter and, and all this kind of thing. And I, I actually can't believe we're considering things like that. You know, an incredibly great, I love teachers. Teachers, are, are, I just think they're, especially since I've gone through COVID, I just admire them so much more. Um, because a wonderful teacher, a friend of mine said to me a while ago at the very beginning of COVID, um, don't be concerned about their academics. Now, I know that might be difficult in sixth year or you know fifth year or something. Don't be too concerned about their academics. Make sure they're mentally well. Look after their well-being. Get them back to us and we'll worry about their, about yeah. their, their, their academics. Um, we need to be wise about how we come out of lockdown, mm. not just how we are when we're in it. And I have a real concern about how we come out of lockdown. In what sense, Dewey? I really, I really want us to be very intentional about mm. not panicking and also not doing what we think just looks like the right thing. Let's do the good thing. Let's make sure we cover the basics well. And mm. that is that we are not sprinting to kind of try and make up ground for lost academics, that we're not trying to, because that's more pressure on these kids. Let's, anything that we do right now, like the Leave and Cert fiasco, both years in a row, let's, let's do everything we can to err on the side of making things better for the kids. Yeah. Let's, not, let's not get them to sort of say, yes, we think you've missed out on school and you might not make the 600 points now. You might only make 500. So let's get you extra grinds over. over. Now, if kids want that because that's their world, fine, that's great. Mm. But let's not put more pressure on them because they're already under phenomenal pressure. I'd love to hear nothing more than the kids had the most amazing summer ever. Yeah. They, we were out of lockdown. They were able to get outdoors and they were able to have great fun and remember a summer of locked after lockdown as opposed to another summer through COVID. Yes. And get them out. Like I cannot wait to be able to see, you know, teenagers, kids going in to sit down in a coffee shop and chatting with each other and like, just get them out, get them talking again. And it, like, so if, if your child is at home and maybe he's on screens 15 hours a day and it's obviously horrendous, where do you start with just, do, do you have the, obviously we're not going to just go and take them off it now. We're just going to have a conversation about reducing yeah. screen time, relating to them. Yeah. And, and Jen, if, if you're, if it's like it is in my house, you're going to have that conversation probably every few days, or yeah. you're, gonna have, you're going to feel like you're just an absolute repetition all the time. Yeah. So it might be that you're saying, you know, because you don't want to have major meltdowns, which I've caused in my house over screens, over COVID, but that we're saying things like, you know what, let's, when you're onto a friend, that's great. But I feel like I am actually the cyber police in my house mm. with three of them. I feel like I'm constantly up and down, up and down, checking out, seeing what's up because they don't want to watch the, the dribble that mom and dad are watching at nighttime if we're watching a, a box set or something together. Sure. You know, Downton doesn't do it for the kids. No. Nope. They want to watch whatever they want to watch and they want to watch it. And if we can, we can do some basics. So what are the basics? A couple of things. If you can, now hear me well on this because I don't want everyone spending a fortune, but if we can, a screen like a laptop, an iPad or an iPhone is more damaging to our biology of our body than a monitor. Okay. So if we can use a monitor. So in other words, the kids can connect their phone to and talk to their friends and connect it, which you can all do now digitally, to a monitor. Then it can monitor, by the way, can be a TV but a mm. TV with megapixels, it doesn't have a backlight. So it doesn't have the same impact on the biology of our brain. Oh, interesting. So, okay. so small things can help. So I know parents will say, I don't want a TV in the room. It's not a TV monitor because they're on their screen anyway. 
So if we can, that's one simple little change. And um, remembering there's four things that I would always say to parents, screens bring up your cortisol levels and decrease your serotonin. So they bring your moods down and they do increase your cortisol levels, your stress levels. The opposite of that is some things that we've just touched on there. I'll say them quickly and we can go over them if you wish. Walk, talk, read and write. Yeah. Any kind of gentle, I'm not talking cardiovascular, pumping it in the gym. You know, if you're an elite athlete, that's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about mental health walks. Get out of the house, get walking, talk to some friends. And um, walking in general brings down cortisol, increases serotonin. So is talking to another human being. And mm. I don't mean on a screen. Yes. One of the first things parents will say to me is the kids are in the room, I can't get them out. Give them an alternative to coming out. You know, you might have to kind of coax them out by doing something with them or kicking a ball in the back garden or throwing a frisbee or. Well, what if they don't want to do that with you? Yeah, it might be that you're trying to find a way to do that with another sibling or you're trying to get, uh, you know, a neighbor whose wall you can break down. I don't know. You need to be creative, but yeah. we've got to get creative. It yeah. might be the time where we bought trampolines or it might be the time that we put in a nice heating system in the back garden where we just be outdoors or whatever. You know, we have to get creative about it as parents because they will hibernate in their rooms and they will stay there. Yeah. If we can coax them out by giving them some sort of incentive, like for one of my daughters, it's she'll go for a walk. One of my other daughters is if I'm going to the, she's 10, I go to the shop, do you want to come? She'll always come because mm. she just thinks there's a treat in it for her. Yeah or whatever but it's not about actually what, what works in our house as well particularly with the young one is drives we just because patrick and well might me too but mostly patrick loves the music and yeah. they'll get into the car and they'll drive for 40 minutes and they'll blare the music really loudly and sing at the top of their lungs i had three, just of, three of them in the car yesterday and i know that when they come together and do this it's going to happen but they but it's hard to get them to do it i had three of them in the car yesterday going absolutely nuts to abba I love a bit of Abba. I was one of those pathetic fathers who, if anybody looked in, and God love anybody who might have been a client of mine, seeing me, <laughs> they'd have said, We're never going back to him. He's actually barking mad. I, I would find that very reassuring. I was, that, I was that dad jumping around <laughs> the car, being an idiot. Um, but they love it. They love to have a bit of fun and to mess and to joke. But we've got to be creative as parents to find ways. Put down your phone is not an answer to this problem. Um, right. It's got to be, listen, hey, I'm thinking about this. Do you fancy doing this? or I'm off doing this. And it's tough because if you've got, like I have five kids at home, you're doing that with all of them. You're trying yeah. to find ways to keep them all going as well as ourselves. So it's not easy. But we, if the walk, talk, and the final two, Jen, read and write. What do I mean by that? Any form of reading from a hard copy of a book or a magazine brings down cortisol levels and increases serotonin. Doing the same from a, uh, an iPad or an, uh, on an iPhone does the opposite. It makes us more stressed. Some people will say to you, what about a Kindle? Kindles are a bit like TVs because they don't have the same backlight. They don't, they don't increase serotonin like the hard copy of a book will. The first thing you do when you get a book, by the way, is what? You sniff it, you'll touch it, you'll smell, mm. you'll, you get it, you kind of get the feet because it alerts all the senses. And that's where it starts to produce serotonin, which is increasing our mood. Our cortisol levels come down naturally. So I don't have a major issue around screens. And this is the bit that I'm struggling with in my house because this is the bit that causes the arguments. I have a major issue around screens at nighttime. Mm. And I'm not policing this well because when I get to nighttime, I'm wrecked. And I'm the one that has to, Maggie and I are dovetailing going, have you been up upstairs? Have you been upstairs? You know, are they still on screens? Um, it's the nighttime screens that cause the problems for our kids, particularly for our kids' mental health, because it interferes with their melatonin levels rising, which is your sleep cycle. And that means that kids, when they go to bed late at night, if they've had screens all the way through, find it very hard to get to sleep. So we are seeing a lot of sleep deprived kids. 
So we've yeah. got to take this. If we are going to take screens, it's just to communicate with them that for the last hour to an hour and a half before they go to bed, that screens are not a part of that routine. I mean, it is impossible. Like, so obviously what you're saying makes total sense. Um, like it is so hard though. I mean, it's, and I have two older ones. So obviously I don't really, I can't say much to them because they're adults yeah. and they're on their screens a lot too. And it is a bit like monkey see, monkey do. Uh, you know, I've, I try to put my phone away early-ish, like nine, half nine. I try, depends on what's going on. Um, and I'm hoping that, you know, eventually it'll rub off on the younger one. But God, I don't know. Like, I, I love what you're saying, but I, it's impossible. Because like you say, you're wrecked. But you know what the thing is? It is impossible and it's a massive row or it's a massive difficulty or it's an issue and we're all guilty of it. And rather than feel horrific and have guilt and blame over it, talk about it with your young people because what I'm trying to do, if there was a way of doing this, is not make this a parent issue, make it a young person's issue. I'm speaking in schools about this all the time. If we could create cyber change in our young people, because the young people, once they understand these things, are really smart and they get it. If we could, we could create cyber change in the way we've created climate change in our young people, game over. Because they should be coming home to you and me as parents and going, do you know what that phone is doing to your brain? Now, yeah. we're, a long, we're a long way off that right now, but I, I, I truly believe that if kids get what we're talking about and understand mm. deeply, all we're saying is, because you see, if one disconnects, you know the way mums and dads would say this to me, you know, it's impossible to get this to do this or that. Um, we have a WhatsApp group group with all their mates in schools, parents, and they're telling us they're going through the same thing. And what age should we give them a phone at or blah, blah, blah. And I'm saying, you know, be that parent who makes the decision to throw yourself way out there by going, hey, guys, I'm thinking of doing this. Will we all give it a go at the same time? Mm. I, the reactions to it is that once it's one person in, um, others will follow. So I think it's hard, but I don't think it's beyond the possibility. What we're talking about particularly at nighttime, is really just the last hour before bed. Yeah. So can we give them another alternative? I mean, if I, and I'm terrible at doing this, but if we can find ways to be creative, creative thing, creative creativity here is the big thing. My One of my daughters came to me recently and basically she's 10, she asked me, but she, she said, I'm bored, dad, which means can I have the iPad? And <laughs> rather than saying, yeah, love, there's the iPad, which probably I would have done under some other circumstances, I just said to her something that my parents used to say to me, which was, if you're bored, I have loads of jobs I can give you. And she disappeared within seconds. So that was fine. <laughs> and she went off and went downstairs. And when I followed her about an hour later, I had a delivery from Amazon arrive and uh, the books were all gone out of the delivery, but she was in the box and the box had been turned into a restaurant. And had I love a, it. A menu had been made and I was charged with this menu as soon as I arrived into the living room of what I wanted to order and the relevant prices. Now, the point that I'm giving you is that when kids get bored, it's essential that they get bored because when they get bored, they go to imagination and creativity to find solution. When they find yeah. solution, they produce resilience. So screens gives them immediate um, satisfaction hits and satisfaction. Mm. And being bored is one of the things we think is unacceptable for our kids to be in this this dynamic age, it's the best thing we can do for them. So yeah. I know that's difficult in teenagers, whereas maybe a 10 year old is not as hard, but if we can find ways to offer things like, I'm going out for a walk, does anybody want to come with me? I'm already yeah. saying that and I know most of my teenagers are gone, <laughs> good luck. Um, no, it is, and, and one, one thing that has worked, and it doesn't work all the time, but sometimes it works. So once a week we light a fire in the back garden, best yeah. thing we ever did, got the fire pit. And we sit out the back and we'll have a glass of wine or whatever. And 
normally they will trickle out mm. and they'll trickle back in but and they'll trickle out again and particularly with the younger fella he'll come out and sit and because he's such a big mu- he loves music and the same with actually the other guy we'll go through a whole cycle of uh what songs you want to play and blah 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 blah, mm. blah. i mean i'm just kind of thinking off the top of my head and it keeps him out there for maybe half an hour to a an small hour little thing it's such a nice thing to do because a small little thing you know that duvet of kids that i talked about earlier on when you're trying to go to sleep it seems to me that they only do it at the times that you don't want them to do it Yes, the, the duvet of kids that that can also happen in things like uh, okay, we're having a favorite songs disco. Let's go kitchen yeah. now. I mean, it's almost a joke and a bit of a laugh, but something to create a little bit of creativity. But that's amazing for the young kids. I think yeah, my teenagers would probably go and get into a wardrobe and hide away if I suggested that. Funny, funny. My 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 thirteen year old and my seventeen year old are the two ABBA fans. So if I put ABBA on, that's it. They're down. They're down. They can't help themselves. I love ABBA. <laughs> I'm gonna love it. I love it. Okay, I have another question here. Yeah. Um, this is from a mum uh, talking about her junior cert daughter who's just gone on antidepressants. And I wonder, is that something now? And I'm absolutely not knocking that, by the way. I wonder, has there been a huge increase in that? Because, you know, the, 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 she's on them for anxiety and stress and maybe at the moment too difficult to maybe go down the road of some therapy. Perhaps that's she's on them anyway. And the parent is just wondering how long is it going to take for them to work um, for her to feel motivation again? Should she be pushing her? She doesn't really want to talk to her. So should she back off? What age is the child? Uh, junior, sir. So I'm guessing uh, 15, junior, 16. Yeah. 15, 16. Okay. So first of all, without knowing all the details in the background, it's hard to be, but I'll be a bit general on this. And um, most importantly is I'm assuming that the journey towards a GP to get medication uh, to assist serotonin levels, remember what that does, it's bringing down cortisol and it's increasing serotonin. So that's what our SSRI medication is for. So nothing wrong with that. If the GP is referred, and sorry, GP is um, diagnosed and, and recommended that. Um, but here's what I would say about it is it's not the only thing to be doing. It's helpful because it'll bring down cortisol levels and increase serotonin. And generally speaking, three to four weeks before it kicks in, it starts to work. And it's not that overnight you see a significant change. It's usually that you sort of look over uh, a week or two later and look back over the week in hindsight and go, gosh, things just seem to be a, have been a little bit easier. It kind of takes the edge off, Jen, if that makes sense. Yes. So, so that's really what the, the medication is for. What I'd be saying is what why is this young person anxious or why are they depressed? What's the, and quite often it's a reactive depression to the Mm. environment that they're in, like lockdown or isolated and not seeing friends or a bullying issue or whatever. whatever, Mm. What I'd be saying at the the basis of that to the the mom who might've been um, writing into you is try and get to see in what I would say is a green zone. Uh, I love this at nighttime. I could simply call it couch time. After dinner every day, Maggie and I have 15 minutes catch up couch time. And that is a time where Maggie and I have a conversation and the kids aren't allowed to interrupt. We just have a catch up to have a conversation. And the kids have gotten used to that and they love it. We do that with our kids when we know there's something up. So it's catch up time, couch time. But it's not at night time when they're about to go to bed because they'll manipulate that and not go to bed. But it's it's a good hour before that, perhaps, where you're saying, remember I said about the dental health check, this is the mm. mental health check. Green zone, couch time. Hey, come and sit down. We put a couch in our bedroom for this purpose solely. And that is, do you fancy catching up for 10 minutes? I'd love to talk to you about something. And quite often kids will come and sit and listen and talk. And not in a group, one of the, you know, with this, this woman who's talking about her 15-year-old, that's what you do in couch time. If there was anything that you were to talk to me about, this is where to do it. It's almost like giving them the opportunity to talk. Very often for guys, that's while they're doing something in a secondary manner, not primary. So they're not looking right into your eyes 
they're eating or they're going for a drive or whatever. Your couch time for this mom with the girl might be a drive every night. It depends. Sure. Every, every and, and it might start off initially as not saying very much, but then as the weeks go by and the medication starts to kick in. And also try to find out what's going on and get a little bit of a picture. And and for that mom, if the child doesn't want to go to therapy, that's perfectly fine. I would definitely say to the, the mom, try and seek a little bit of parental guidance as to what you can and can't do. You know, a good therapist will give you some uh, simple cognitive behavioral tools to be able to work with your daughter using um, so that we're not just relying on, on medication because medication isn't the long-term answer. It's to get us through the short term so that we can get through the environment to get back to flourishing again. And yeah. that usually comes from connection there's a great there's a great book by a guy called dr dan siegel this is a guy i trained under who's wonderful and he has a book called the whole brain child dr dan siegel and it gives us an insight into understanding the teenage brain but something that he says that really resonates with me jen and i think you'll agree with this is that he says that the basis of every psychiatric or psychological disorder and anxiety depression whether it be any of the psychiatric disorders um, but even with anxiety and depression, the basis of all of those is isolation and loneliness. Mm. You think about that from a pandemic perspective right now. Oh, yeah. You think about that for a teenager going through a hard time, stuck to their room, comparing themselves to everything they see on Instagram. It's tough going. And he says, and this is why I, I, try, this is why I sought him out to do some work training with him. This is what he says as a psychiatrist. I loved it. And he said the answer to all of that, to this isolation and loneliness, the answer is love. Mm. The answer is connection. The answer is acceptance. And if we can even just be a really strong listening ear to our kids, as opposed to what I want to do and what you want to do as a mom or a dad, which is to fix it. Mm. If we are listening with an intent to fixing, we're not listening. Yes. If we're listening to hear and to say, that must be so hard for you. Tell me more. And they continue to speak because we're continuing to listen. The only mm -hmm. words we should be doing is words that get them to talk more. When, we, when our teenagers talk and we listen, they calm down their own central nervous system. We're yeah. not trying to fix it for them. Mm. Because then, as soon as we try to fix it, we're all guilty of this as parents. They stop listening. They don't, they don't want to know. It goes over their heads. Yeah, and, and, and it is an automatic thing because we're here longer and we think we know better. <laughs> and that's not necessarily true. Um, what what I, I, happens I, if... If you don't, uh, and I'm sorry, this is not related to the person that asked yeah. the question. This is just me thinking, what happens if the relationship is not there with yeah. your teen? You know, because this is all well and great and brilliant and I'm loving it all. Um, but for some people, that could be just not a chance, you know, and, and perhaps it's because the relationship wasn't there in the first place. And now we're in the we're in the shit. Like, yeah. And how do you connect then? Yeah. And your kids are looking at you like you've five heads and what do you know anyway? Absolutely. And this is going to sound really challenging to anybody listening who says, that's me. I don't have that relationship with my child. They won't talk to me. In fact, they don't even get on with me and I don't even, they don't even like me or I, I, the, the relationship is broken or fractured. Here's the reality. Get, get, talk to somebody about that. Don't get stuck on your own with that because it's never, ever too late to heal ruptured relationships. And if you so wish, and if you want to try and do that, but we've got to have, this is where when I'm asking parents, even who come into us, you know, who can't get their children in to see us because their children won't come. Um, don't go home and tell them you've learned ways to deal with this or to fix them because that's not going to have help in any shape or form. I often say to parents, if you go home with your hands held up and go, do you know what, we're going to see this guy or, or one of his team to talk about how we can just do things better because we think we're failing you as a parent. Their ears are going to break up. They're mm -hmm. going to listen to what you have to say next. And if you follow that with, you know what, I think I've got some of this really, really wrong and I'm sorry. 
Mm. They're going to pick up even more. Yeah. You've then got a chance to try and create some sort of connection. It might be slow, but if you don't have that, your children need that. And they, they're not going to get it from you. This is the truth. They're going to go elsewhere to get it and you will be excluded. It's never too late. Please do our best as much as we can to try and reach out to our kids. Yeah. And and it it, it means having to kind of fess up to yourself right. in saying, okay, look, I need to do the work on myself. I did a podcast last series all about this, that about the most important relationship is the one with yourself. You can't move past, once you sort that out, you know, the rest is a little bit easier. But, you know, and I suppose the same thing happens if you're in, in a family where the two parents perhaps are not getting on or there's conflict or, you know, that, that must be so hard for a child then because they're looking at both parents, both delivering two different messages or maybe they're fighting or whatever. That's, gosh, I don't, that, that's another podcast. It is. And, and also remembering that, you know what, like you said earlier on, the, the kids grow up in the garden they grow up in is the relationship between mom and dad. And it's not to say that we feel horrific and guilty because the relationship might not be good. It's to trying to give everything we can to trying to get the help or the scaffolding, as I call it, to, to assist ourselves to do that better. And we all make you know, significant mistakes along that, that path. So it's not to feel the guilt of that, Jen, but it is to be o- open to trying to create change for it because and um, this does affect our children. And actually, there's a lot of freedom in that. I know when I did my own therapy, like, God, it was great to be able to say to myself about certain things that in my life, you know, oh, gosh, you know, I stuck my hand up there for that. It, it, there's great freedom in it because it means then you can let go of it. And also some some interesting little things you can do. I mean, one that I threw in a while ago, I started off thinking it was a great idea and then wanted to give up halfway through. But um, ask your kids, what's the worst thing I've ever done to you? <gasps> Oh, <laughs> but don't ask unless you're willing to take. Yeah, it. I love that. That is that is brilliant. And so, I'm firstly, I like, oh my <laughs> god, Jesus! I, I'm look oh, crikey, and three kids. That's gonna be that's gonna be right. So, I need to go and buy a couch for my bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely gonna do that. Jeez, that's really good. That's really good. In case they hit you, but no, honestly, it is. It is. It's to sort of because if you're willing to hear from them. Mm. To listen to them and um, take the feedback. There's a bit of owning up. There's a bit of tough stuff in it, but there's also, which is great. There's also healing. Kids are amazing at also forgiving. We're, they're much better than adults. Yeah, yeah. Sorry goes a long way with kids. Mm. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, you it can be. It can be hard to say it, and for some reason, I think some parents feel they don't need to apologize to their kids. But oh, listen, I apologize all the time. Yeah, yeah. It makes you human. I think. I think you're absolutely right. Um, I think getting getting to a point where we're okay with being wrong and making mistakes and, and fessing up to them quick, but also um, the healing comes very fast when we, you know, you raise your voice or you said something you shouldn't. The, the kids are really willing to forgive you very quickly. Yeah. So in wrapping it up, Stewie, if you had one or two things to say to parents that are listening that are struggling, I know we've spoken loads. It's been absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much. What would your kind of final bits of advice be? I think I think a couple of things probably uh, do our best to be creative because this is a crazy time. 
be our, do our best to be creative, whatever ways we can, whatever little things that can make a difference. Um, even small little things here, in, even in our clinics, we put in um, those egg chairs, you know, the little lint chairs you can swing on and stuff like that to try and just lift the mood, lift the spirit. It's beautiful and crazy, but I just see kids swinging in them when I come out to reception and it lifts my spirits, it lifts theirs. We, we can do those sort of things at home. We can create things. I love what you do in the back garden, lighting a fire and having a little bit of time to have a chat. If they were going, we're trying to, trying to create the conditions in which if, if they buy into it, that they'll flourish. So mm. we do our best as parents to try and create those conditions. Mm. And if we, if we, we'll get some hits and we'll get some misses, but that's okay. We just yeah. ourselves down as parents and we go again. And if we've made a mistake, we say sorry fast and we bounce back. And I do believe that one of the most important things we can do is rather than keep talking, if you find yourself doing what I do sometimes, which is trying to impart wisdom on my children, stop <laughs> yourself. <laughs> <laughs> They're very quick in my house to say, Dad. I'm laughing because it's just, yeah, we're the same. Duh. Yeah, I don't need that, Dad. I'm not, you know, psychobabble, leave it alone, leave it alone. So they, they if I'm listening to them, and you know the way sometimes when your kids are actually having the crack, you feel like you're not a part of it because they're actually just having so much fun, they forget you're there. That's yeah. the ideal. As much as we can to try and create those conditions, to be honest. And if you're worried about your kids, don't be on your own. You know, come and talk to somebody who, who understands. And sometimes you just feel like, gosh, I'm not alone. You know, this is yeah. like struggling as well. Um, talk about it. Don't leave it. Don't brush it under the carpet. Talk yeah, because we, you know, we, we can be afraid as parents. To, it feels like you're failing you know, all the time. So, so I just, I just want to say before we finish, cause we've been trying to do this for ages and then obviously time took over in terms of COVID and all that. And, uh, thank you so much. That has been just so, I know already it's going to be so helpful, but also just your clinic is called Zest Life and you have two clinics. Where can people find you? Yeah, so we're on online, zestlife.ie. Uh, we're in two clinics, one in Harold's Cross and one in Churchtown. And um, yeah, they can contact us. Uh, anybody needs any help, we're, we're happy to help out. Okay. And so we will again revisit because we were supposed to sit down a long time ago and talk about your story because your story so just for listeners your story how you met your beautiful wife and what yourself and Maggie have done your what you've set up together your clinics your colleges now I mean you know it's really really inspiring so I'm just saying it now I'm not letting it go we will I will come back for your story because it is absolutely I mean it is incredible what yourself and Maggie your life story together and the family that you have and how you got there so I just want to say that we will be, be coming back. Really appreciate that and, and right back at you. And uh, for all your listeners, we knew each other 100 years ago. And to Patrick and you, you guys are inspirational. So thanks for what you're doing. Thanks for all you're doing to help people. Oh, cheers. Cheers, Stewie. Talk to you soon. Keep safe. Keep well. God Bye. Bless. Bye-bye. Guys, if you're enjoying this podcast, maybe you could share it and subscribe to the podcast and come and check us out at thewhenpodcast.com. Thank you so much.